to the How Could You Podcast. I'm Lauren Tassi. And I'm Ryan Tassi. Damn shame what they did to that dog. It honestly sounds like you're quoting something from Pulp Fiction, even though I know it's from the movie we're talking about today. It's good, because my friend Sam Jackson, he's in uh, this film today that we're talking about. Will this be the new motif, seeing how many times you can fit Samuel L. Jackson into an episode? (laughs) He's in every movie, so it just works. (laughs) That's true, that's true. (laughs) Well, welcome everyone. We are sorry that we are a little off of our schedule. Yeah, we disappeared on you guys. We did, we didn't mean to. Uh, So... We are putting out an episode today instead of last week because we're we're moving. Life got in the way. Life finds a way. <laughs> um, you know, so if you've ever done this, well, I mean, you know, very probably a few people in the audience who haven't had to move at some point in your life, you know, it becomes kind of a consuming process. I can't even say we're that deep into the process. No, it's <laughs> just, you know, trying to figure out a move during a pandemic and then on top of it, work full days and, you know, just the podcast unfortunately got a little bit sidetracked, so we apologize about that. And the worst part of it is, is like, this is the thing we want to do because <laughs> Because I don't want to do any of that adulting stuff that no, we have to do. No, <laughs> so we weren't planning to move. It came up, and you know we're looking forward to it. But Tossie Studios is changing. Yes. Uh, so it's thrown off our schedule for this month. But we'll, we're, we're gonna get back together. Yeah. So we'll be good. Uh, just kind of giving you guys a quick update on the schedule, just so you know. So we apologize again that we were behind. But we're gonna have this week's episode. Uh, we're right back at you next week. We're gonna be back here on Tuesday, the sixteenth, uh, uh, and then we're gonna actually take a another two-week break, so that's going to be the deep part of our uh, move. Uh, But then we're right back for Oscar history. So we're going to get a lot of Oscar, a retrospective of the Oscars one week, and then a couple weeks later, an Oscar preview. And if you think I talk quickly now, wait to hear me (laughs) talk about the Oscars. So essentially what we're saying is April will be Lauren month. Um, So that should be a lot of fun. We're excited about that. Talk about all like old films in the Oscars, what should have won, what didn't win, what was snubbed, all that fun stuff. And then coming back Two weeks later and kind of giving you a preview of what, you know, our predictions for the Oscar uh, award show. And then we're going to try and do something rather stupid. We're going to try and record an episode the (laughs) night of the Oscars after the ceremony has ended. Yeah. And if you've never been around me after the Oscars, the only way I can describe it is if you've seen Ant-Man and you remember (laughs) Michael Pena in that scene where he's trying to explain the situation, like... That's literally me at the end of the Oscars every year, and I stay up till, no lie, every year at least 2, 3 o'clock in the morning so after the Oscars. Jacked up a Mountain Dew! really am. <laughs> I super love celebrating cinema, so it's it, it should be. I'm really excited to do that, so hopefully. And we can give you guys some predictions of like what we think will win. Some movies to watch, maybe some movies to skip. So hopefully you guys will enjoy that during April. And then May, we'll be back May 4th. We're going to have our Star Wars extravaganza for you. Uh, we'll have another film uh, two weeks later that's to be determined. And then we're going to finish up with our season finale on uh, June 1st. And that will be The Godfather. You better come correct for that episode, man. I have been like totally like threatened by people about if I don't like this movie and I come at it back. I have literally told you never to tell anyone that you hadn't seen it. <laughs> it's scary. So thank you for the cut, Lauren, that I was mixing up Fredo and Frodo. So He literally said, he was like, people are going to treat me like I'm Frodo. And I'm like, if you hear a little cut there, that's why there was about two minutes of me talking about Frodo instead of Fredo. Um, yeah, but that's what you all have to look forward to. One mafioso to rule them all. <laughs> um... But we were talking about the Oscars, kind of pivoting from there. Uh, the Globes were just happening. Uh, we won't get into them too deep. Because they're not the Oscars. <laughs> Did you have any thoughts? So I really enjoyed the ceremony. Um, I appreciated getting to have an award show night. That felt really fun. Um, I thought they felt, found the best adaptations for it, um, given, you know, obviously, you know, to use the parlance of the time, uh, unprecedented times we live in. I thought they found a way to do that. There are some really great films, and I won't speak about them at any depth uh, today because I have a feeling they're going to be nominated for Oscars. But I thought there was some interesting and fun surprises. I thought there were some solid acceptance speeches. Um, so I don't know. It felt like a fun night to me. And and I know we're not always huge Globes people, but I and thought it was a really fun night. Um, as, as you guys probably are starting to realize, um, I am not uh, as big a TV fan as I am film fan. I have some hot takes on television <laughs> sometimes. Yeah, you hate television. I, I, sometimes I do. I find it to just be advertisement for its next episode every... <laughs> but... 
I digress. Oh, just that tiny little, like, <laughs> problem with television, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that being said, there's obviously some fantastic television out there. And um, so it is a little bit of the thing that, that turns me off on the Globes. But that being said, it's usually a fun show. I, I thought they did a great job considering, you know, this new format that they had to go with this year. I, I mean, for us at the audience at home, I, if you're a casual viewer, I've had some people I talked to that are very casual viewers who thought it was very boring and turned it off. Um, you and I were in it all night. We were texting with friends. Like, we had, we really enjoyed it. Yeah, and I think that sometimes the difference is, is like, you know, so if you're really tuning in for the red carpet experience, you don't have that the same way. Now, I did like that they did Zoom interviews with people and you could see, like, you know, the fashion, if that's kind of what you're coming for. Um, I thought that Tina Fey and Amy Poehler did a really great job kind of, like, mixing, you know, kind of the importance of talking about the times that we're in and then additionally everything that was going on with the HFPA that week and then, but making it fun and kind of giving like a good space for people to kind of have a, a, a fun time because you know that's the thing is like one of the interesting things that has happened during the pandemic and in a lot of ways it's democratized the access to some of the films that are nominated that maybe people wouldn't necessarily have access to they would have you know maybe still been kind of only in your art house film yeah. you know essentially and obviously I would always encourage you to go see something at art house theater first but, you know, in terms of, like, access, well, you can now, grant for a high premium, you can rent any of these movies right yeah. now. So I think it just changes, um, you know. Some places are doing very, uh, doing a great job of bringing that price down to make it more accessible to people, which is nice, too. Yeah. Which I think is great. Um, and I, you completely hit the nail on the head. I think what's interesting about this year's awards will be the fact that, people have much more access to see most of the films. I think they're going to be able to see if they want to all of the films before they're, before they're out or before the, the, the ceremony, which honestly, like I think you have like a, like a essentially like a serial killer board every year of all the films <laughs> we have to see, because I think you get panic sweats. Cause you're like, I know Lauren's going to freak yeah. out if we don't see all of them. And I'm sure we'll go into that more in depth yeah, when we talk about our course. Oscar show. But yeah, it is like, we used to like have to really map out and have a schedule. We did that much better than we've done our last couple weeks of the podcast. So. <laughs> that is 100% the truth. But like the, you know, the nice thing is we live in an area where we have our access to art house cinema, like we are five minutes away from the Frank Banco Alehouse Cinema, so they used to be like kind of our hub for all of our Oscars watching. Yeah. So uh, the other thing I wanted to say that with because you and I have now been getting into a lot more of the films that have been nominated finally, and I, I mean that's the one thing I will say: there's not a lack of really good films out there this year. That even with the pandemic and and things changing, um, we got a really good, may I say it, yes. content. <laughs> That's at you, Scorsese. <laughs> yeah. You didn't even read the whole art. Anyway, that's a whole other argument for another time. But yeah. But no, there is. There's some great films out there. Some really just beautiful films. Some great storytelling. Great acting. Great directing. So um, it, it's an exciting year. I, I didn't know how it would be. It's interesting. It's definitely different uh, for the award shows. But um, I, I think it's still a lot of positive, which is great. And we've been trying to get caught up on, you know, watching some movies, watching a lot of throwbacks. We've been trying to get caught, caught up on some new movies. And we had mentioned this last episode that we might do this each week. Like, so we're going to deem this. A new segment? A new segment. Drumroll. <laughs> we're going to call it Tossie's Takes. Tossie's Takes. Um, Love so it. essentially movies that we either recommend or we're going to tell you to run away from. So Ryan, I'll start with you. Is there anything we've watched recently that you would either recommend or tell people to run away from? Yeah. I mean, I have a bunch of things that I would love to talk about, but I won't get into too much. Tossie's Takes will narrow it down to, you know, uh, you know very quick ones. But uh, the film that I am just over the moon about and maybe one of the best films I've seen. I mean, I, I see we see a lot of great films, but uh, it's a film called His House. And it just... Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to be able to talk about it in too much detail because to talk about it in too much detail gives it away. Um, and it's hard to describe, and I think this is going to be why this is film does not get a lot of traction, but hopefully over time, word of mouth enough gets it, um, because it's going to be labeled as a horror film, which unfortunately is going to detract a lot of people. I can't argue that it is a horror movie. I mean, there are some just absolutely terrifying parts with it, um, but it is so much more. It is a deep, introspective deep dive into trauma um, that I think even though in this this outline of horror um, 
gives you something, I think, more real than anything I have been able to see um, before. Um, it's a film about a refugee couple um, who's escaping the sedan. Uh, they come into England and they get uh, asylum um, where they have to stay for a few weeks um, or a few months, I guess, until they're able to get final, um, you know, citizenship, I mm. believe, um, before, and they have to live in this, this home and be lutched over, and then trying to kind of make it there, and it's, the house starts to kind of come alive on them, um, is the best way to kind of describe it, uh, but even at that, it, it's just, it's a film I just can't recommend enough, it, it is beautifully shot, it is heartbreakingly shot. I mean, mm-hmm. it is feels real. The last 30 minutes. It, it, again, I, I can't tell people enough about this. Is it, It's a drama with some horror aspects put into it. And it is one of truly the best horror films I've ever seen uh, from a film standpoint. But even more so, it's one of the best films I've seen in a long time. And that's saying something because, I, 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 you know, there's so many great films out there. But it is just, it blew me away. I can't wait to watch it again because I think there's so many layers to it. Um, and I, I didn't know if I wanted to yell, scream, cry. I came out of it emotionally changed and that I is the biggest compliment one person can give to a film in my opinion. Well no, I mean everything you just said 100% you were like a live wire after <laughs> that movie. Like I felt like I, I felt like you didn't know what to do with yourself. Like it's and and it's really special when you can watch a movie that does that to you. Um, whether it's like a, like kind of an emotional resonance or just like you watch something and it's like it has such an immediate impact where you go, this movie's going to be with me for a really long time, and I'm going to talk about this movie to anyone who's going to wing to listen because I completely agree with you. Even when you're describing it, I'm like, yeah, it is, but also this, like it's, and that is un. I would love to do an episode on it where I could talk about it in more detail because I can't, you just can't talk enough about it and what's all in this film. No, the recommendation here is go watch this movie. Even if you're not necessarily a horror fan, um, I would actually say that this is, if you're someone who's like, I kind of want to like dip my toe in horror movies, but like, I don't know, like sometimes I have a hard time with them or you don't like kind of the overt gore and that's not your jam or like the tropes. Honestly, check this movie out. We may have to do an episode about it because you're just so amped about it. And I don't, and I, I felt the same. Like it is really, it's, Stunning! It's beautifully acted, and it, it will kind of wreck you a little bit, but it, yeah. it, but in the best ways. It's a great movie. Yeah. So that's my tossy take. Yeah. <laughs> what about you? So we've been watching a lot. It, it's very hard to just pick one thing. Um, so the thing I'm going to pick, but I'm not going to speak a lot about because it's going to be in the Oscars race. <laughs> um, so it's going to be uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. Oh, nice. Um, I thought you were going a different route, but that's, yeah, that's a great one. Okay, so I was going to talk about Nomadland, and then I was like, oh, but I also want to talk about Judas and the Black Messiah. So here's <laughs> the thing. This is what I'll say about these two films. There is no way they both don't get nominated. I will talk about them both in great depth and length during our Oscars talk, because I have a feeling particularly Nomadland is so special. And it's a movie that feels one part documentary, one part emotional yeah. journey, one part Francis McDormand giving you a hug. Like it is and if those are things that you're interested in, you need to check it out. It's a really impactful film. I think it is a, a uniquely American story. Um beautifully shot, beautifully told, beautifully acted, really naturalistic. If you're a fan of Into the Wild or Wild or any of those kind of like adventure self-discovery stories, um to shake the sleeping self, stuff like that, check out that movie. Um and Judas and the Black Messiah is brilliantly acted. I love the direction it takes. Um, it is, it's a historical piece. And again, like I don't want to talk too much about either film here because I do feel like we're going to talk about them. And if they don't get nominated, you're going to hear me right. about that <laughs> in an it. upcoming I episode. Mean, yeah. Daniel Kuluay, yes. did I get that right? Um, is just phenomenal. It is, it is a performance like, it's one of those performances, like, and he's been great, and he's had some, obviously, already some marquee performances, but you look, I think people are going to point at this one and go, 
okay, so this is the this is what the next fifteen years of your career yeah. looks like because of that performance. It's just it's genius. It's it's a genius movie. I loved it. Both excellent picks for you. I can't wait to talk more in depth with those in the upcoming episode. I think that'll be a lot of fun. Yay, Oscar season. <laughs> so now kind of transitioning to what hopefully y'all came here for. Or maybe you just came here for us. I don't know. But our movie of the week. Coming to America. Yes. 1988's Coming to America, directed by John Landis. Um, it's uh, It's got this little uh, actor named Eddie Murphy, <laughs> who I uh, I think he was a one-hit wonder, maybe. Uh, yeah, something like that. <laughs> yeah. How about it? No, yes. So this is a funny film for us, because this is one we've been wanting to put on the podcast for a while. It was supposed to be back in November, and then we changed a little bit on that, and then it just kept kind of pushed off. So finally, we're excited to, uh, to bring in and talk about it today day because it is a gap in one of our film (laughs) knowledges yes one of us did have this as a gap one of us is very happy that they filled this so right off the bat Lawrence Hasse how could you not have seen coming to America okay so I despite the fact you were only two years old when it came out (laughs) so here's the thing I and this is gonna like sound like kind of an like an absurd comment but like so I obviously was too young, I think, to appreciate like a really like golden era of stand-up comedians in the 80s. So, you know, certainly I am too young to have been watching Eddie Murphy when he was kind of at his prime in that. And like I, you know, I've watched like Eddie Murphy things here and there, like throughout the years, like old Haunted st- Mansion. Uh, stop it, I love that movie. Don't make fun of it. Pluto um, Nash. <laughs> So like I've seen, so I've seen a lot of, of like of his stuff and like, and this is one of those things. Like I was vaguely aware that this movie existed. I knew that I assumed it was more of just like a straight up comedy, like kind of Eddie Murphy fair of the eighties and early nineties. Like I assumed kind of that. Um, and really honestly, what made me want to see this movie. And I know you do not know why that is. The reason I wanted to see it is because we were at a Halloween party and mm-hmm. someone came in dressed up as Prince Akeem <laughs> and you lost your mind. I, Cause and, and now this was like cosplay grade. I yeah, mean, it, it was, was. It was really it good. Was, it, it, so it's his. It's his costume when he arrives in Queens. And I remember you like lit up. Like it was honestly like a little kid seeing He Man, <laughs> like at the local videos. Like you, I would have thought you like waited. And I've and, met like, He Man. <laughs> yes. So like it was something you were so excited about, and I was just like, man, he's a lot more attached to this movie than I thought he was. And you had shown me once a long time ago the the section of the film in the barber shop. <laughs> Which could be its own film because it's just, I which we'll get there. Yes, <laughs> we'll 100% get there. But like, and I remember thinking that was funny, but we had never sat down to watch it. And then I won't lie, it kind of got in my head of like, I think I need to watch this movie because he got so happy to like see like Prince Akeem watch. <laughs> like it was honestly, you like fangirled out and it was amazing. That co- that costume was legit. It was the coolest thing ever. Like, like I didn't even know the it, reference at the time. It's and a I thought fun it was awesome. house party that we're at, but this dude showed up and was just... To the nines, and I loved every second of it. I honestly... That's really funny, though. I didn't know that. No, and I actually... I was pretty sure we had never talked about that, but you were so excited. I was like, okay, so we've got to watch this movie. And so, you know, so this is definitely just one I missed. And I'm going to say, I do feel like I have quite a gap often in comedic films. It's not like I don't have a funny bone or anything like that. I just don't think, like... I think there are people who, and I always think of like the scene, if you ever watch the TV show Freaks and Geeks, where they're talking about like all the like comedy movies like they go and see over and over and over again. And I never felt like I had that voracious desire to watch like outright comedies, but romantic comedies. <laughs> I do love just like this movie. It's going to be, this is a funny comment that you make here because, and I'll just talk about it because I was going to talk about it later, but I'll say it right now. This is a movie that I grew up with. Um, it is this sneaky film in my, you know, kind of film repertoire in that if you told me, like, name your favorite movies of all time, Coming to America probably doesn't ever come up. But it's a f- film that I quote a lot. It's a film that I love. If it's on, I could watch. It's a film I really wanted you to see. Mm-hmm. Um, I laugh. It holds up, which we'll get to. But... I never thought of it as a romantic film. It is never so until I watched it with you. And this was probably about the first time we watched it was only not even a year ago. No, it was less than um, a year. You know, and you came out of it 
grin on your face calling it a romantic one of the and I apologize if I'm jumping you know no you can say it one of the best romantic films you had ever seen <laughs> and I'm like wait oh yeah this movie is a romantic comedy isn't it <laughs> to that firmly and and fight me if you need to. And I apologize to step on your toes there if oh, something you're no. going to say, but... No, not at all. And, like, so, like, the interesting thing about this is, like, I did, like, I immediately... Now, granted, I am someone now, as a, as a child of the 90s, I grew up on your Julia Roberts, your Sandra Bullock's, like, your essentially all your rom-com glory in the 90s, your Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan pair-ups. So... I think I was probably more readily apt to watch it and recognize and go, wait a second, these are all romantic comedy things. Uh, (laughs) But I feel just as deeply invested in this love story as any romantic comedy I've ever watched. I know towards the end we're going to talk about our favorite romantic comedies of all time. I just, I love this movie. I love it because it's, it definitely fits within that world. But I think almost it's like the romantic comedy for people who wanted to watch a comedy with Eddie Murphy. Like it has yeah. like really like interesting entry points to like his comedic stylings. Um, you know, and it's an, it's an interesting film when it comes out because like if you think about, so he worked with John Landis on, was that trading places? Uh, trading places. Where they got along phenomenally well on trading places, but did not get along during the production of this film. May I, may I quote Eddie Murphy? Can we jump right into this? Let's jump right in. <laughs> I have a quote from Eddie Murphy after doing um, this film with John Landis. And we're gonna, are we going to jump right into the John Landis part of this right away? Yeah, I think you kind of okay. have to. So Eddie Murphy was quoted literally as saying, after um, coming to America, Vic Morrow has a better chance to be in a John Landis film again than me. <laughs> You're going to have to explain the story. It's about as I, cold-blooded a comment. That is ice cold. Dark and cold. Um, yeah, so anybody that does not That's know... That's the back corner of the Fortress of Solitude. <laughs> so here's the Oof. John Landis of it all. Guy comes out, and he has, kind, you know, Blues Brothers and uh, all these great films, uh, American Werewolf in London, um, and he kind of blows the doors off, looks like the next big thing of a director. Mm-hmm. And he does a segment in Tales, um, excuse me, Twilight Zone, the movie. And anybody that doesn't know, we won't go too deep in this, but essentially that becomes one of the biggest disasters in film history. And um, unfortunately, there's an accident because of really just, you know... Negligence. Negligence. Um, A helicopter crashes during a stunt. It kills the lead actor, Vic Morrow, and two children that were on the set who were working illegally also, by the way. Um, so if that doesn't give you context of why that quote is so bombastic. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it, it essentially, and then the problem is every Landis, he was just, he was negligent, um, you know, kind of an arrogant person. It's and unfortunately Hollywood hubris His run career doesn't end from that, but it's certainly never you know, can rise again from it. Um, But this is about two years after that film that he, Eddie Murphy makes that comment, which is just so, and there's not a lot on what actually went wrong on the set between the two of them. And I was reading articles about this because I was kind of curious. And I think like, unfortunately what's famously known about it is that they did not get along on this set. Now they end up working together on Beverly Hills cop three many years later. But there's not a lot... And they just did come to America, too. Yes. So... So there's not, like, a lot written about this um, other than, like, Eddie Murphy has said later on, like, they they have reconciled, which obviously they have because they've now worked together twice since. So whatever the circumstances were on set, I you know, we can't speak to because I was trying to do some research and I couldn't find the exact things. I came across, which I always find really fascinating, um, some, like, original reviews about the movie. And it had, like, it was, like, a mixed bag box office wise did phenomenally well was nominated for two oscars which we'll get to oh, wow. it didn't win either and all okay. and, hmm. um, <laughs> but like i i read one review from the hollywood report that says it's the filmic equivalent of uh uh driving um maserati to go to the corner grocery store which i guess if you're a car person that make that analogy <laughs> makes sense um and another that said that at this point for Eddie Murphy playing a romantic lead is beyond him in his career. Like it was like these very weird, like biting things. 
But the thing is, is like, if you look at it, like over time, it has an incredible audience. It did very well at the box office and now is regarded and they like kind of credit that to it kind of gained some cult status um, amongst their fan base. So even though it came out to very mixed reviews because the box office did so well and then the longevity of it, like you talked about. I will watch this whenever it's on. Yeah. I can throw it on at any time and it still makes me laugh. Um, it kind of gets that cult comedy like icon status. Well, comedy is another one of those funny genres, right? Because there's a couple of things that work for it and against it. Um, it's most of the time it's it's a genre of its time. So yep. they, it doesn't have a lot of, you know, doesn't hold up over time. Um, we've been talking about that la- lately, of course, but this film does, in my opinion, completely. It truly does because I think I think the thing with comedy is that, you know, the the best comedy is going to comment upon its time. Um, you get really nostalgic about the comedies that you grew up with because they're the things that made you laugh as really kind of you're developing your sense of humor, but oftentimes they can age kind of on the, the poor end, but this doesn't. And I think there are several things that are a credit to that. So getting into that part of the film, I would say like the initial setup in Zamunda is like, I think one of the things that makes this timeless because Zamunda is beautiful. Yeah. Like, it's incredible <laughs> sweeping shot to take us in. Um, it's the everything. There's such a commitment to the story they're telling. And I say that because I feel like you could have done this on like very minimal sound stages, had very few minimal set piecings and dressings to give us a sense of like, okay, they're royal. That's all you really need to know. But there is such a commitment to the production design and the costume design in this film that I think really makes it feel like an immediate fairy costume tale. costume design especially. Yes. Uh, you know, I, I'm not sure 100% on the set. And the sets look great. I don't know how in-depth the sets actually were. They hold up and they look beautiful. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but the costuming is... It's, fantastic. Yes. And like it's, and so it wasn't nominated for production design. It was nominated for costume design. So, uh, Deborah, I think it's Deborah Nadulman. Um, so prior to this, she had she was the costume designer for Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, wow. The thriller music video. Yes. And the Three Which Amigos. John Landis directed. Exactly. And he directed Three Amigos as well. And Three Amigos. Yeah. So um, she, she lost to... Dangerous liaisons. <laughs> of course, she it did. makes me so angry. Come on, that's an well, <laughs> like a man tailored shirt one over over Prince of Kim's costume. You know okay, the Oscars and they love their period pieces, costuming. <laughs> but that's why this should have won. It makes me so angry. Um, so dangerous liaisons won. Um, so it was James Atchison. He had won. John Malkovich looked great. Yes. Um, <laughs> You don't need much to make John Malkovich look <laughs> That's great. True. Um, he's a stylish dude. Uh, so he, it was the he had won the year before for the Last Emperor. So like it's so he had like back to back wins. So you know, you know, you can talk about whether the Oscars awards that or not. But yeah, so this doesn't win. It was also nominated for um, makeup design. So this was Rick Baker uh, who did the makeup design for this. Also did the makeup design for Thriller. Um, uh, and he did American Werewolf, didn't he? Yep, American okay. Werewolf, um, Men in Black, and How the Grinch Stole Christmas. So Rick Baker is a really a prolific. Yeah. Do you want to know who won, though, for makeup design this year? Beetlejuice. I can't argue. Exactly it's right. It's yeah. fantastic. Like, I'm just blown away by the fact that Beetlejuice is an Oscar-winning film. It is an Oscar-winning film for makeup. That's it. Um, the three films that were nominated... Were, Although it's hard to argue with Saul. <laughs> the fact that... The Eddie Murphy Eddie, is Saul. Yeah, the fact that Eddie Murphy drove around the Paramount lot <laughs> as Saul and kept telling people he was Eddie Murphy and no one believed him is a credit to the makeup. But so it was not... I mean, I'm assuming most of our audience knows by now, but if you've seen the film, the, the nice white Jewish man in the, uh, the barbershop is Eddie Murphy. Yeah, it's and 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 that becomes like a thing that then Eddie Murphy does like prolifically yeah. in the rest of. Like, I mean, obviously a lot of they play a bunch of different characters, yes. but he's unrecognizable. He, it's, it's really truly <laughs> on, and honestly, I'm, the first time we watched it, I didn't realize it. You had to tell me after the movie. Listen, I, and I remember at the time when the film came out, nobody knew. Like you, it was that. Oh my god, that's Eddie Murphy. Like you know, I don't yeah. even remember how like known it was. It was just that fun word of mouth type thing of like that was that little tidbit of trivia that I, you find out. I have a feeling that gets talked a lot about the Oscar season. So it was nominated. So it was Beetlejuice, Scrooged, <laughs> and Coming to America were the three films nominated for makeup design that year. Interesting. 
Would you have thought that those three films were <laughs> Oscar? <laughs> yeah, I mean, but you know, so back to like kind of the you know the entry point for this film. So we're in Zamunda. Um, what I love about this film so much is that it its strength is in kind of its sight gags, like the yeah. the kind of hilarious. Like there's so much immediately funny to me about like the life that Prince Akeem lives. Like the fact that he is not allowed to do anything for himself. Um, that he's not arrogant, that he's not, because you would expect like a prince to be kind of arrogant, but he seems like he just wants to like, you know, go to the bathroom by himself and he can't, you know, you've got like, you know, the great, you have the, the women who bathe him, like that great line of like, and I'm sorry, I know this is profane, but the royal penis is clean. Like, <laughs> like it's, it's. I do very much love the baths. <laughs> <laughs> you cannot blame him. If Garcelle Bouvet was bathing me, I'd be more than happy. Yeah, you, you know who that a- actress was. I was not. So Garcelle is a very famous supermodel okay. and actress. She's also a real housewife of Beverly Hills. Best best person on the show. Fight me. Um <laughs> So, it, you know, and it's, I think that that kind of world feels, it feels so rich. It feels so, it, what I love about it is there's such a commitment to kind of the fairy tale aspect of this. And I wrote in my notes at one point, no, seriously, I know it's an Eddie Murphy movie, but it's, it's actually a Disney movie. Give Prince Akeem a ride at Disney World, please. Like, okay. All right. Hold on. <laughs> I want to circle. I want to go back because you may, you, you give me a good time to ask this question, but this is, this is what works against this film to me as Considered, hold on, as a considered as a romantic film, um, probably works again. It is a foul movie, hilariously foul. foul. Yes, Um, we can't say most of the things in the movie. But that's the funny thing; it comes across as a family movie. If its structure is a family film, I don't even argue with you that it's kind of got a Disney kind of you know film vibe to it. Until you know every other word, it's an f bomb. But done perfectly. Done perfectly. (laughs) It uses its profanity well. But I think that's the thing. I think that's why I love this so much. And why uses its profanity well, I like. I agree. Yes. (laughs) And, like, because I think some movies use it to the excess point of just, like, to be kind of, like, salacious. Whereas this feels like every time it's used, it's, like, it's very particular. (laughs) And, like, and one of the things I love about it is, like, because, all right, so, like, back in that Zimunda space, like... no, I just feel very enveloped in that world. I feel invested in their courtship process. I want to know, like, kind of the rich history of the place that I'm in. I love the Paula Abdul choreographed dance sequence, which... Oh, that's awesome. That's fantastic. Did you know that's a sped-up version of the Thriller dance? I just read that in, you know, my trivia getting ready for the show. Mind blown. <laughs> yeah. But, like, I love that whole sequence, and it only serves for, like, like his princess to come to him, and then, like... I love this, like, because it does, it really, like, works well on this, like, Disney trope or, like, fairy tale trope. She's like, whatever you like to eat. That's what I like to eat. And he's like, just think for yourself. Like, this is weird. And I love that. I love that that kind of, like, break of that and, like, that he just wants to, like, know. I don't know. I buy into the Prince Akeem thing so deeply. He's so sweet. He is sweet. He's a great character. And I think he's, I think Eddie Murphy plays him perfectly. He just plays him with so much glee, so much just (laughs) heart. Yes. Like, you're just like, you know, it's, you want to be the the little grandma that's pinching his cheeks? Because he's he's just a lovable person. Like, you just find everything that's good about him. Like, and he's just... All he wants to do is good in the world, which is just as fantastic. Like, even just the line when we're talking about, like, the foul language and stuff, I love when he comes out and he's just like, hello, neighbors. (laughs) F you. He's like, F you, too. It's just like, because he has, like, such, like, just this hopeful, like, optimist. Like, this is honestly, to me, I think the blueprint for the movie Enchanted. Yeah. Like, what would happen if you drop a Disney prince into Queens in the 80s? What would that look like? And, like, what I love about it, too, because I love that you have, like, him contrasted against Simi, who's, like, very much like, no, you need to take advantage right. of the fact that we're royals. Like, question for you. Yeah. Simi. Yeah. Who is he to Prince Akeem? He's his royal vizier. Who what now? <laughs> That's right. Disney term. Aladdin. Um... <laughs> So he, I think you're supposed to think that that's like his like right hand man. Like okay, his, all right, because yeah. the dad, the, the the king doesn't seem to like him. Well, we, okay, and it's kind of like, why are you here? So I, so I couldn't tell if they're Simi, friends. Simi gets is he a shenanigans. I think it's supposed to be kind of um, like. Is, so he, you, is it a position? Like I couldn't tell. So you know, like like Oha, 
Yeah. Okay, I think that's who he is to him. Oh, okay, all right. Also, I love James Earl Jones. Oh, James Earl Jones, the best. I'm just a concerned dad. Like, <laughs> just the greatest. The greatest ever. But, like, I don't know. I just, I love that. I love Simi contrasted against him because I think Simi wants to take advantage of all of, like, what it is for him to be royal. Yeah. But he's not, like, br- like he's not unkind to, like, Akeem's, like, hopefulness. Like, and I think, obviously, there's probably, like, a, like a duty portion of this where he has to follow whatever Akeem says. But, like, there's all... <laughs> Duty. No, stop it, you. <laughs> but there's also this, like, playfulness that happens between them of, like, you can tell he's annoyed, but he's like, fine, we'll do it. Like, when they go to, um, like, when they um, go to the Black Awareness Week, and, yeah. like, you can tell he's so annoyed to be in that, like, crowd of people. Yeah. and like, doesn't understand why they have to be there and, like, why they're not saying these, like, lavish conditions. So it's just... So before we leave Zamunda... Yes. I have to say, you talked about Oha. I love when he just breaks out in the song right after the dance. <laughs> is that not the greatest, like, wait, what just happened? Because he, that is not how It's that, not even, like, great. He's not even singing, like, yeah. but it's just, he's just selling it perfectly. It is awesome. That's, again, like, I just want to know so much more about their, like, procedures and, like, what this world is. It's so awesome. And it just, and that's to me, I love when you're given something in a film and you're left wanting more. I think that can be a really um, fulfilling feeling in a movie where you're like, oh, wait, I don't want to move Careful what we wish for because, you know, we had hoped to have this episode out way before the sequel dropped on Prime so that we would actually talk about what our hopes were. I don't think there's any reason to do it because at this point, some people may even see the second one before they listen to this, but... I'm going to remain hopeful about the sequel, mainly because I just, I want it to be good. Early reviews I've seen have not been bad. They haven't necessarily been over the top, but as you've already talked about, even when it originally came out, they weren't all positive no, either. No, but so. I mean, I think you're you're hard-pressed to find someone like, at, you know, in the few people I've talked to about this movie, like, that don't love it, that don't think it's great, and that it holds up. And it's very funny. And it's funny for the situational humor of, like, the dramatic irony of, like, we know he's a prince versus how he's being treated. There's all sorts of interesting things that happen, like, with kind of, like, you know, kind of the class structure of it all. Like, he's a royal dropped into this world and he's being treated, like differently but that's like what he's looking for he just wants to be treated for like who they see in front of him like there's so many interesting things happening with him there's so many funny things that happen because of that and like the fact that you know like him being royalty like you know positioned against like eric lasalle and is like like fabulous oh, is there a slimier villain in a in a romantic film or any film than eric lasalle in this as daryl all right so i wrote down several I, mean, I always hated eric lasalle even on er like i hated his you character hate eric- LaSalle on ER? Not Eric LaSalle. I mean, Eric LaSalle seems like a very nice gentleman. So good looking. (laughs) Whoa, I did not see that coming, but all right. No problem. Um, ER was the eye candy of the 90s, my man. Alex Kingston all the way. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, he's just so slimy on this. He is. He's so gross. And I remember writing down, like, several times in my notes, like, oh, gosh, this character is just the worst. Like, of all of the, like bad boyfriend tropes and like romantic comedies I'm like I think he might be the worst because like just like his deception and like he's so clearly full of himself and how overtly cruel he is to Akeem for absolutely no reason and like well to be fair Akeem pretty much falls for his girl immediately doth you blame him (laughs) no (laughs) but like but at the same time like he's so slight but it's weird I kind of like him in the end when he gets like broken up with and I'm like oh he's kind of like a little sad and pathetic and then I kind of feel bad for him and I'm like what is this movie so here's my question to you yeah Akeem if Daryl was not a slime ball Uh if he was a good guy Uh does Akeem back off Akeem's in love. And Akeem's in love. But Akeem's such a good person. I don't know. He is a good person. I don't know. I don't know. You know what? (laughs) I want to think that Akeem would do the right thing, but I don't know if he would. (laughs) So, I got a question for you. Yes. What is your... Do you like the 
multiple character portrayal. Like, uh, same actor playing a bunch of different parts. Kind of becomes a bit of a, I mean, a big thing for Eddie Murphy, obviously. Uh, We get it around that time with Back to the Future as well. Uh, But this is like the first big one that I can remember. I'm sure somebody could probably tell me. Um, But do you like it or not like it? So again, like, and, and, and comedy being a little bit of like my weaker point in terms of like genres of film, um, I find it is incredibly played out, and I think that's kind of the problem with it. I think it gets used in a way where I think the immediate kind of like joke of it can wear thin easily, if yeah. not deployed well. Like it works in this because. You know, I would think particularly for the initial audiences, this is the first time that Eddie Murphy has done this. So it's kind of the hilarity of that alone that that's happening. And then you get all of these other great, like, incredible side characters. Like, you know, the barbershop sequence, which I'm sure we'll get into in a minute here. Like, when they're... um, uh, you have the, the preacher who's got the great line of, like, Hugh Hefner on high can make them. Like, all those, like... There's really just, like... So I can't wait to talk about that. Part. <laughs> so there's like really great moments with that. I'll let you kind of get your laughs out. Um, but like, so I, I like it in this. I can't say I like it in everything. I think it can be distracting when not done well, but I think that's a credit to whoever your makeup artist I'm with is. You, I think it doesn't work more times than it works. Um, you know, and I'm even coming from somebody that's a big Back to the Future fan. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it works in that. Well, I hate I, it I hate Back that. to the Future. Yeah. I find it very distracting um, in that film. Mike Myers, most of the things that he did it with, it mm-hmm. doesn't work for me. Like, yeah, those types of, you know, I'm with you. I, I probably in the end of not, but in this, it works because you get probably the most iconic scene comedy scene maybe one of the all time yeah, but definitely sure. of this film is the barbershop scene which is hilarious when you figure out think about the fact it doesn't even involve any of the main characters of the film no because it's just this immediate thing where it's like they build those characters so quickly the lines are so funny if you repeated them just like what they're saying it doesn't seem that hilarious but it feels like a genuine conversation amongst friends where you're arguing about the same topic over and over and over again and because of like the relatability of it it makes it so funny how they all play that out so is that is that for you is that the kind of like key scene of the movie is that like your favorite scene of the film yeah it is because to me it's a flawless scene it's just you got two fantastic actors at their prime just going, you know, having a great time. Yes. And then it's just hilarious. It feels, rings very true um, in this, like, you know, I, I was a big boxing fan, and that was during yeah. the height of my dad and I love watching boxing, so you have this whole boxing conversation. It's, yeah, it's just, they knock it out of the park. And then you have Cuba Gooding Jr. just sitting there getting his hair it's cut. so great. <laughs> It is, and that's what I love about it, like, because you just have someone who's sitting there, like, like, this all just playing out around them, and it's like, and it, they feel so fully realized, these characters, that it's like, yeah, I mean, honestly, I think if this movie, if Coming to America is made now, a sequel movie comes out just about the barbershop itself. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. Mean, Rocky Marciano, he did beat Joe Lewis. Yeah. Joe Lewis, 187 years old. And <laughs> <laughs> we quote that all the time. We really so. do, because it's such a funny sequence. And, like, because it is, it's all those, like, playful interactions you have when you're debating with friends about a particular topic, and then you get mad at one point, but then you just go back to, like, laughing about it. Like, it just works so well. And, like, it's, honestly, I think it's the funny, it's the standout funniest scene of the movie. Although the Coming to America consistently makes me laugh when we're watching it. Like, I'm laughing throughout just because so many of... Parts because that, like, you were talking about the, the Black Awareness Week scene is hysterical, and that's one of those scenes that, over time, has made me laugh more. Can I start singing The Greatest Love of All or no? No, I will Jackson do. Heights' own Mr. Randy Watson. <laughs> I believe the children are a future. <laughs> it is. It's a great, it's a great sequence. And like, and because of the just secondhand embarrassment felt by the audience, like watching this, like they're so not into it. And that's what makes it so great. Reverend Brown just keeps trying to sell it. Oh, I know. And no one's into it. And it's just so funny. Like, because it's this like one, like, you know, this community gathering. It's, I think it's supposed to be like a Friday or Saturday night. And like, it's just (laughs) so awkward. Reverend Brown that starts that whole scene off. (laughs) Who's just got a bikini contest going on. 
And he just, it's a beauty pageant. <laughs> and just talking about yeah. how God is great because of the women that are there. Yeah. Oh, my God. And then you gave the line, which was the Hugh Hefner line. Hugh Hefner and I. I can make them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that scene just absolutely. And that's when we get introduced, you know, to Lisa. Yes. Um, and I think that's the first one came with Mr. McDowell as well, right? Yes, and, it is. Yeah. And then, like, because the whole McDowell section of this is really funny. You get, the, obviously, the great um, scene with Samuel Jackson, which is hilarious, um, and then gives, like, kind of the entry point of, like, how Akeem gets more access to Lisa and how he start to, you know, they start to look at him kind of differently. Um, and I just think the McDowell's thing is just, is is so funny because there's just these great, like, the moments that like, he's holding the McDonald's, like, operating manual at one point. And, like, <laughs> That's right. and actually, I was reading something that, I guess the whole thing with the mop when Eddie Murphy's dragging it around is actually a reference to the guy who played so Mr. McDowell um he was in a McDonald's commercial in Canada and that oh. was a joke in the commercial and that's why that's in the film it's meant to be a reference to the commercial he was in in McDonald's oh in wow Can- that's really funny yeah so it's like one of those like weird like little connection things that's but- John Amos and I think he and I I believe that's how we pronounce the last name but I, he's fantastic in this too yeah. and he's funny because I had written down earlier in my notes that I was like, oh, he's such a good guy. He just cares about his daughters, you know, just trying to take, and then you realize he's kind of sleazy throughout. He kind of is. But he's so good, too. Like, yeah. I mean, it's just a good cast of people. Like, they got a great cast. It is, and I think, like, that's the thing about, like, because I love, I love, like, his kind of, like, he just wants to be a good dad to his daughters, and he thinks this is the best way to do that, and, like, and he, like, cares so much about his business and it's like you do get kind of mad at him, but it's kind of like even the king. It's like you kind of get mad at James Earl Jones for like, you know, dismissing Lisa as like a peasant like option for his son. But like, again, it's kind of like it does, again, those kind of fairy tale tropes. It's, it's, it's fathers trying to make the best choices as possible. But I think that's why this film works because it's an equal, it's an equal measure of people, you know, feeling very realistic, feeling nuanced, but also kind of feeling a fairy tale and then also just being incredibly funny. Like it's, it's it's just honestly I love this movie so much I cannot say enough about it like why I find it so funny and so enjoyable we haven't even talked about Soul Glow oh the Soul Glow like thing running through is <laughs> yeah. hilarious and then like is that one of the best product place non real product placements in a film it a hundred percent is like and I know there are other directors who do that and there's yeah um but this to me is like one of the best to play and we didn't even talk about the sequence when they try and go out and meet women at the bar oh yeah and yeah, they yeah. have like the people like coming yeah. in and out of the booth I was Joan of Arc in the uh, last yeah life. she's my favorite <laughs> she's who I want to hang out with two sets of twins they just had two, two sets, sets of twins, twins yeah I just it, that like those scenes that's are so the funny. one moment that I don't think it works when I think they go a little too far when they have Arsenio Hall I think play, the problem, they don't yeah. disguise him enough. Right. And like, I know it's not. I mean, and it's it's a sight gag and that's fine. Yeah. It's just a little, it, comparing it to the other times that they do it throughout the film, it just doesn't. Where it's so hit. blended in you yeah. wouldn't know mm-hmm. if you didn't know. We yeah. barely talked about Arsenio. Arsenio Hall is so good in this. He is just, and, and He's this, funny. He's really funny. Exactly. Because like, so you have Eddie Murphy who is playing this so like genuine and straight he is a prince he is full of optimism and like hopes and dreams and all that fun stuff and then you have this simi character who's obviously more in line with what you would think of kind of like you know wanting to be like a little bit of a lothario and like (laughs) and and you think that like he kind of is what you would assume maybe prince akeem is going to be like kind of like with all of his like power but he's not and like and i think that's why simi works well but like i also think like Simi, like, you can tell, like, just really cares about his friend and, like, wants to kind of take care of him, but they also kind of pulls slimy things where you're like, dude, that wasn't cool. You should have converted used to the a lifestyle. Yes. He's not willing to live in the apartment that has a rat really <laughs> and a poor rat. blind man that was killed. <laughs> yeah. Which I couldn't quite understand why they had to do the outline of the cane, but... <laughs> I don't know why, but it makes me laugh. I did. But that's the other thing is like, that's all like the fun, like little details of things that happen. I love the manager of the, <laughs> he's great. And the guy falls down the stairs and he's just yelling he's, at him. Like, like, don't, no, you can't pretend like you fell down the stairs again. Yeah. Rents do like, and that's like, that's such a great scene. And I think that's the thing is it's like, it is a film so populated by these tiny moments with characters that just, and I think that's why, because essentially you do, you take this, princely character from this very like realized but fictional world of Zamunda and you drop them in very real 1988 Queens 
and just everything that happens. I love seeing happens. old grimy New York, 80s grimy New York. Do you know that was not filmed in Queens? Are you are serious? It was filmed in Brooklyn. Okay. That's All what right. Brooklyn used to look like for got the hipsters. It. Got it. <laughs> it's actually filmed in Williamsburg. Um, and the McDo- McDowell's is a Wendy's? Wendy's. It's a Wendy's. It was a broken down yeah. Wendy or a you know, shut down Wendy's that they converted. That supposedly, I guess, they had talked to McDonald's, but some people in the area didn't realize from McDonald's and had oh, showed fantastic. up. <laughs> um, Lisa and... Um, Akeem's chemistry in this is so good. It's electric. Yeah. Lisa, she's played by uh, Sherry Headley. Um, I actually thought maybe this was one of her only role. I wasn't aware of her. She's had a very steady career. Not anything that you and I necessarily have, you know, talk about or have watched a lot over the years, but she's excellent in this. And her and Eddie Murphy just work really well. The scene of them at the swings, like, just, it's really terrific. I love that part. I honestly, like, this was one of those movies that, like, like a good romantic comedy should. I walked out very gushy. And if you're listening to this and you're like, this is not a romantic comedy, it's just like an Eddie Murphy comedy. Like, Romantic comedies do not need to be a disparaging thing. They can still be very, very funny. They just often aren't as funny as what they get labeled as. Like, whereas this is truly a romantic comedy because I think it is deeply romantic, but it is a funny movie. So we're kind of getting to the end of the film. Um, I have to ask, thoughts on a surprise bride? (laughs) It's a bold move. (laughs) It's a bold move because you've got got your son buckled in that he's having to marry a woman. That he is not in love with. That's a lot of anxiety to put a dude through to be like, ha surprise. <laughs> yeah, I know. Everybody's just like, oh, great. And now Lisa, you're moving as a window. Like, I just, I don't know. It felt, it feels like surprise weddings. If it goes well, excellent. If it doesn't, horrifying amounts of trauma. <laughs> right. And I have to get your feelings. Thoughts on Lisa's wedding gown. Fabulous. It's 80s. It's pretty it's wonderful. I, I'm all about it. See, you know what? Yeah, you know, it's like, pink. pink. It's kind of pink. It is it's pink. pink. It's pink. <laughs> it's pink. Um, and that's the thing is I love that we get to end in Zamunda because like I, I love being back in that space because yeah. like, again, that, again, that world feels so rich right from the onset. I like the happy ending. I like that you get to see the characters like end in that space. Um, I also, what well, we didn't talk about. So James Earl Jones has that great, he makes that great Darth Vader reference earlier in the film. I don't know if I caught it. So when they're in the apartment complex, he says, I shall deal with him myself. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's great. So he makes that reference Dude. earlier. And then he's got the big lion around him. So do we have kind of a lot of the uh, James Earl Jones father moments? Oh my gosh, that's right. The Lion King. <laughs> yeah. I was like, where's he going with this? There's not a lion in Star Wars. Um, James Earl Jones, everybody's favorite dad. He's everybody's favorite dad, yeah. Dad's voice. (laughs) Dad's voice, yeah. But, like, I thought, like, I, and that's why I I like his kind of just, like, his, his happiness at the end because he seems so harsh when they're in Queens. And then, like, I love the scene, like, with him and the queen in the back of the car. And, like, you can tell she's so disappointed in him. And, like, but, yeah, I'm not going to lie. I think the surprise bride pays off really well but could have gone real weird. Um, You know, right before we get to the final scene, which I want to ask you about, but... I like that this movie doesn't, to me, ever have any empty space. A lot of times comedies, especially today, we talk about this, where you get these dry spells. This movie doesn't have that to me. Mm -hmm. Because even that last kind of 10 minutes before we get to Zamunda to finish out the film, I love. I love kind of the... You know, the king trying to go around the city to find Akeem. Akeem kind of a a step ahead of him, not on purpose, but... And then I love the, um, you know, Mr. McDowell running around (laughs) everywhere trying to keep everybody in place. It plays funny, but it stills advancing the story. So I thought they did a really good job with closing this movie out, which a lot of comedies do not. No, because they suffer in the third act because it's like, okay, now we have to wrap things up. We have to kind of give like some sort of like either like, do you want emotional resonance here? Do you want like a conclusion? Do you just kind of want another like really good gag to leave people laughing? Romantic comedies can suffer from the, oh, now we're mad at each other thing. Like, but this is a movie that I think like takes care of it really well, where I I, I agree with you. They, They make the amount of time you're in that part of the story like the perfect amount of time. So that way I'm not bored by what's happening, but it's not rushed either. Yeah, it's a you're really correct so in that. To finish the movie, I gotta ask you this question. Ooh. How do you do you like the end scene with her accepting being the princess? 
this strong character accepts being the princess at the end and gives the nah. How do you feel about that? I love it. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So grew up fed Disney movies where like mm-hmm. happily ever afters means, you know, this. I think this is a movie that doesn't immediately make an assumption about like what her life in Zamunda is going to be in like a restrictive way. What I like about that character is I think they've established her so well as like a woman of agency and purpose and cause. I think they give her a really nice playful moment at the end. Um, And I think you're supposed to assume, and I think it's fair to assume that like her life in Zamunda is going to be very purposeful. This is also you have to remember. So this comes out in the late eighties. You're talking about the era of princess Diana. So you're, you're in a space where, you know, royalty can be kind of looked at more like in a space of like activism. So I say it, Ends in an empowering space. Not yeah, let's not talk too much about princesses right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Riveting interview. Watch it, everyone, if you haven't. Um, so, yes, I really like the ending. Um, I like I like the, the, then the end shot of the parents. And, yeah. like, he's got the bottle of Dom. And, like, I don't know. I like it. It ends in it to me in a very good space. I like space. it, yeah. I, that's why I said I think we talked about the sequel a little bit. Um, that it's out. I'm good. We're going to definitely watch it. Maybe even tonight. Um, but but it's a film that I don't think needed to be made and shouldn't have been made. But now that it's here, I'm in. I'm so glad we have this. (laughs) I really love it. It makes me smile. I, I'm so excited that you love this movie so much. I really do. And I think, so I know we're going to kind of talk about this. So like we, we, in preparation for us, we talked about like our favorite romantic comedies. And I know we're going to get a list. I don't know how many you have on your list. I have five. I have five. Okay, right on. So I'm I'm going to start with my list. And I'm going to go from the bottom to the top. Can I ask you a quick question? Yeah. Because I think this is important. Of and course. You and I recently got to do a panel at the Steel Stacks. Yes. Um, and it was about romantic comedy. It was so much it was fun. rom-coms. Rom-coms. But this is where I think is interesting. I believe there's a difference between romantic comedy and rom-com. Oh, dude, explain. I think when you think of rom-com, you think of these kind of tropey, kind of, you know, your basic films. Nothing wrong with that. I don't sure. mean that in a neg- as negative as that sounds, but these kind of, you know, goofy films. There's not a lot more. It's very surface level, just you want romance. You know who's going to get together in the end. You know, there's going to be some jokes splattered throughout. It's like a factory system situation. Yeah. yeah. And then you have romantic comedies, which is romance and it's comedy and they kind of come together, but they're still telling a different a story. You're making an interesting argument here because when you first started saying this, I was just like, there's no difference. Stop it. But like, <laughs> you actually are making a good argument as like, because I do think they can get unfairly maligned by... And I think a lot of genres can. When you have the tropiest version in your genre, like I think you're, it can get maligned by that. Whereas like this, when I'm saying it's a romantic comedy, and that's why immediately I said I'm like, I don't mean that about. I mean that in a great way. I mean it as a credit to this film. No, so, yeah, and I'm not I, saying I'm right. I'm just saying it's an interesting because when we did that panel, it was interesting because we had this funny thing where we all were coming at it from different angles yep. of what we felt a romantic comedy was and what was our favorite. So I was just curious before we gave your list. Definitely for sure. And honestly, you asked me different days, and I don't know if some of these on my list are rom coms or romantic <laughs> comedies because I didn't. I didn't have that kind of frame of reference before we did this. So I'll just give them to you. And they can also fall into, I think, a few different, like, categories in terms of yeah. genres. So my number five is 10 Things I Hate About You. Yeah. I, I know that. you always love that one. Yeah. I love that movie so much. That scene in the stadium with Heath Ledger's everything. Hey, Heath Ledger made all high school boys obsolete. Yeah, completely. <laughs> You're not Heath Ledger. What's yeah. the point? Um, <laughs> number four is Sleepless in Seattle, which is a little bit more of a serious end of romantic comedy. Um, but oh God, I think I talked about that during our holiday episode. I love that movie so much. One of my all-time favorites. I've literally never heard you say that. And just so you know, we're going to talk for about an hour and a half after the podcast just about how much you love Sleepless mm-hmm. in Seattle because I didn't know that. I do. Learn a new thing every day. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. All right. My number three is Roman Holiday. Classic. Which, which probably would rank higher if I was making a list of, like, my favorite films of all time, which is weird to say in this situation. Um, my number two is Crazy Rich Asians. 
which is amazing and beautiful and just fills you with all the like romantic comedy ushy gushy feels. Constance Wu, Henry Golding, two of the most beautiful people on the planet. They're so gorgeous. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that whole film is beautiful. I it, agree with you. It's it's great. Yeah, truly. It gives you all that like wanderlust feeling. Yeah. And then my number one, coming to America. Oh, wow. Wow. Well, Did we not were, see that well, we were rewatching it. You had said that after we watched uh-huh. it, and I just, yeah. I will hold firm. Um, when we were rewatching it last night, I was just like, it gives me that feeling of just like, oh, I want to cuddle. Like, I, lo- <laughs> I love it. I love coming to America wow. in a deep way. That's that's awesome. Yeah. Very What about cool. you? Well, I feel like <laughs> my list. Not going to have a mic drop. No, no <laughs> you should have mic dropped that, and we could have played it out. Um <laughs> Mine, you know, I'm always going to give you an honorable mention, so I'm going to go Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Number five is going to be Coming to America. Okay. All right. Which, again, I don't know if I would have counted as a romantic comedy. It is a romantic comedy. It's absolutely a romantic comedy. I don't, you know, again, I was an eight-year-old kid when I saw this movie. (laughs) I didn't think of it in that terms. Um, Number four, The Wedding Singer. Oh, it is a huge guilty pleasure of mine. And it, I just, I don't know why you feel guilty. That is just a fun <laughs> Which movie. is really funny because Punch Drunk Love almost made my list. <gasps> and I'm like, wow, I'm going to almost have two Adam Sandler, Sandler, Sandler. <laughs> romantic comedies. <laughs> Very different romantic comedies. <laughs> but um, number three, The Princess Bride. Oh, that's great. Um, as you wish. Uh, number two, um, 500 Days of Summer. Oh, which is, is a- kind of an anti-romantic comedy, kind of a romantic comedy. I think it is by far the best film ever done about a ro- uh, about a, a couple, uh, about romance, um, about a you know, yeah. I it just it, it's fantastic. One of my all-time favorite scenes in a movie is the expectations versus reality sequence right that's in that you. movie. Yeah, you and I talk about that a lot. That uh-huh. that, scene that scene and the scene from Benjamin Button are two of the best scenes uh, anybody <laughs> that's going to do film school should see. Yeah, like watch those scenes. that's how you tell a story in, like in a brief moment. Yeah, that is great. And my number one all time is Cameron Crowe's Say Anything. Yay! <laughs> so, yeah, though that would be my top romantic comedies of all time. Oh my gosh, I can't believe Say Anything wasn't on my list. I love that movie so much. Yeah, I, I, these are those lists, though, I think that would change, right? I think they, yeah. they kind of go with the wind, depending on, like, you obviously love all of them, but, yeah. like, I bet if we come back, revisit us in six months, your list is probably a little bit different. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. No, I, yeah, I think... Cause Sometimes it, you need to revisit things, <laughs> too, to remember how much you love sure. them. Yeah, and this was a good revisit because we had watched it, like I said, less, like I think that you said at the beginning of the episode, like less than a year ago, and yeah. I still loved it just as much yeah. the second time that watching it. That makes me so happy. So yeah. I am glad that, Lauren Tassi, you now have that off of your gaps in film knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> so if you are not following us on social media, um, follow us on at How Could You Podcast on Instagram at How Could You Pod on Twitter. You can send comments or suggestions to our email address, which is HowCouldYouPodcast at gmail.com. If you can, um, if you're listening to us uh, on an app on your phone, uh, leave us a review. It really helps us kind of get a little more visibility for the podcast. Um, unless it's a bad review, then please don't leave us a review. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but thank you very much for uh, bearing with us with a schedule change. We look forward to seeing you guys again next week. We hope you enjoyed the show today. Uh, check out the sequel on Amazon or hopefully rewatch the original. And if you have never seen Come Into America, how could you not have seen Come Into America? Until next time, enjoy the Odyssey. Mm-hmm.